Well, good morning. It's um, good to see all of you here today. Special greetings to those joining us uh, at Crossroads in Highland Park and the 01. By now, I'm guessing that all of you um, at all of the campuses have been greeted several times with this classic Easter acclamation, the Paschal greeting uh, that goes back to the very beginning. In Eastern Europe, this uh, He is risen, He is risen indeed is sort of a uh, a cadence response kind of thing that uh, that happens year-round. I mean, it could be July, August. It's just sort of like a, hi, how are you? It's just sort of an everyday, good morning kind of a greeting. Uh, I have a friend who, his family has established a new uh, Easter greeting. It was uh, launched by their young daughter several years ago, who um, sort of sprung into their bedroom at about 5 o'clock on Easter morning, jumped on their bed and looked at, at them and said, It's candy day! Uh, so, some of those things live on forever. It's Candy Day, it's Easter, it's Resurrection Sunday. Glad that uh, you are here. Uh, arguably, this is the, the biggest day uh, in the Christian calendar. For those who are following Jesus, some would argue that uh, Good Friday, the day of the crucifixion, has got a little bit more theological heft to it. Uh, of course, the Incarnation, which is celebrated at Christmas. There are some other... Uh, bigger days, Pentecost, the day of the Ascension, and other things. But, but I think arguably, when you put uh, Good Friday and Easter together, this is the big weekend. This is the NCAA Finals. This is the Super Bowl. It doesn't get any bigger than this. And so everybody, uh, everybody turns up, and uh, and that's great. But I'm no fool. I know that um, if something doesn't happen, the next time I will see many of you is next Easter. Uh, Maybe Christmas Eve. So there are, we call them the CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. Uh, and many of you sort of fit into that category. So if you were here last uh, Easter, then you know, or previous Easter's, you know that I tend to, to try and take advantage of this day uh, to argue a very, down a very specific uh, line of inquiry. I say, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that you get religious I'm not suggesting that you do this because uh, you'll sleep through the night or, you know, that it, it, it's going to bring you a sense of inner peace, that, that, you, that you should try Christianity because it works. Like, I'm arguing that you should pursue God because it's true, right? That Jesus is who he claimed to be. And the tomb was empty because he was God. He came down to earth in order to sort of set things right. His death was a very specific substitutionary kind of activity. A big moral transaction took place. He died uh, for our brokenness and separation from God. He took care of that. And uh, he offers, he is the way forward to eternal life. And so I make what is a historical argument, not a religious argument. So we can take this book, the Bible, and set it aside. And as you look just on the basis of history, I want to argue, because we can argue, Without looking at the New Testament, we can argue that there was a guy uh, in the first century who emerges around 30 AD. He, uh, he had a little bit of a scandalous past, but as a rabbi, he quickly races to the front of the line. And he teaches with an authority that nobody else has. And he's got a reputation for doing miracles. 
And so uh, people turn out because sometimes he, uh, he heals people or he, or he multiplies food or he can walk on water. He does all these amazing things. And so the crowds get really, really big. And early on in sort of his three years of public ministry, if you listen carefully, and you don't have to listen carefully later in his ministry, it's all very clear later on. But early on and then later, it's, he's, he's making these references to the fact that he's not like everybody else. He's God. He's existed from eternity past. He's the one who spoke everything into existence, right? That he, that, that he will be the judge of everybody. He makes the biggest, most audacious claims you can possibly make. And because of this, he gets sideways with the religious establishment of the day. He's guilty in their eyes of blasphemy. He's claiming to be God, which he is claiming to be. They get an opportunity uh, to move against him. When he goes into Jerusalem at the time of the Passover, he is betrayed by one of his closest uh, followers. And because of this betrayal, he is turned over to the Romans. Now, the Romans could care less. The Romans are in charge. It's the time of the Roman Empire. So the Romans are over the Jews. The Romans could care less that Jesus is claiming to be a god. They got a pantheon of gods. They got tens of thousands of gods. What's one more god? That's fine. The more the better. But, but, they are a little exercised by, by how troubled the Jews are, and they also are worried about his claims to being a king. And so he's tried not for blasphemy, but for uh, insurrection. And he is crucified. He's uh, beaten, arrested, beaten, whipped, uh, crucified on a Friday morning with two other, uh, two other men outside the gates uh, of Jerusalem. And then... Uh, Friday afternoon before sundown, and it's critical that it's before sundown because for the Jews the day starts at sundown. So Saturday starts when, when Thursday, when the daylight for, for Friday, excuse me, when the daylight for Friday ends, that's now officially Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath. It's a big holiday weekend. It's a big holy weekend. Passover, they, they can't be desecrated by touching a dead body, so they're moving quickly to get Jesus down off the cross. One of the, Joseph of Arimathea, sort of an established guy, uh, asks, uh, asks Pilate for the body. He's given it. They put it in this tomb. Very quick preparations. And then it's the Sabbath. On Sunday morning, several women uh, go to the tomb. They're looking to further embalm the body. When they get there, uh, the, the stone has been rolled away and the body is gone. So everybody agrees with that. I mean, all historians, critics, atheists, everybody, that, that's just the historical record. Now, it's also the historical record that his followers will quickly claim that they have seen him alive. And that, that uh, he appears first to the women, and then he appears to some of the disciples, and he appears to all 12, then he appears to others. Paul will write later that he appears to 500 people at one time. And that he commissions them. That he gives them an order to say, okay, look, rising from the dead is what I said I was going to do. And, and I did this. My death was not an accident. If my life wasn't taken from me, I laid it down. This was all part of the plan. I am the Passover lamb. I have conquered death because I have defeated evil. And evil will continue, but it's been mortally wounded. And here's what you need to do. You need to go tell everybody everywhere, starting in Jerusalem and then in going out into Judea and ultimately to the uttermost parts of the world, you need to tell people that I am God. You need to tell them what I taught. You need to tell them that they need to embrace love and grace and kindness. They need to, they need to be ambassadors of this 
ethic that I am bringing. And they need to put their faith and trust in me. And this mandate that he gives is, is going to spread. People will embrace it. Even though for the first 300 years it's illegal to be a Christian during the Roman Empire. And you can be, not just have your house taken away and lose your job, you can be killed. You can be fed to the lions, you can be lit on fire. All these bad things are happening to Christians. Even though that happens, Christianity just goes in every direction like a fire. And it goes throughout the Roman Empire and it goes around the world. And to this day, in the West... Western Europe, uh, the United States, not so much. But Africa, Asia, Latin America, former Soviet bloc countries, the church is growing today rapidly. Tens of thousands of people every day signing up, getting baptized. The church is growing and transforming everywhere. And today you're here, right? It's from this empty tomb that the Christian faith has been launched. And so most Easters, I say, look, That's the historical argument. And when you put together his claims and these other things about him, he's the most significant person to ever live. He's had the biggest impact of anyone. More books have been written about Jesus than have been written about anybody else. More art and music has been inspired by Jesus than anyone else. His followers will say that it's because of him that they have taken on causes like uh, fighting illiteracy or ending child labor or, or ending slavery. Right? It's because of what they have learned from him. And so it's, it's Jesus that, that has launched people out to start hospitals and colleges and orphanages and homeless shelters and everything else. Jesus is the one who has inspired all this to take place. And, and of the 60 billion people who have walked on this earth, most of us don't leave a mark. Jesus has left the biggest mark. And he claimed to be God. He gave us the greatest ethical teaching that we have. He's this 30-year-old, uneducated carpenter from the backwater of the Roman Empire. He gives us the greatest ethics that we have. He lives the most amazing life. He changes the planet. And he claims to be God. And so I have said pretty much every Easter, look, this is important. It's more important than another hour of Sports Center. It's more important than watching the latest season of House of Cards or cat videos via Facebook or whatever it is that you're spending your time doing. This ultimately matters. And, and it's a, it's a high-impact, big deal. And you need to lean in. And so I have set this historical argument in front of you. I deviate every once in a while. Sometimes I'll just focus on the resurrection and say, let's just look at this like an attorney would. Let's go into a court of law and look at at what the evidence suggests about how the tomb ended up empty. There's there's three theories over the last 2,000 years. One theory is that he didn't actually die. He just swooned. Another theory is that the disciples stole the body. Another theory is that everybody went to the wrong tomb, right? These things just fall apart as soon as you start to look at them. We have in Chicago uh, our own little exclamation point on this. Lee Strobel, uh, a Yale-trained attorney who was working as an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, his wife uh, came to faith in Christ. He was not happy 
Uh, he says that when she told him that she had become a Christ follower, he said there were two words that came to my mind. One, I, he goes, I'm not going to repeat. The other one was divorce. He was not happy about this. So he decided he was going to use his training as an attorney to undermine the Christian faith. And like so many other people, when they start to really look hard uh, at the evidence, he became persuaded that Jesus was, in fact, who he claimed to be, and that this all fits together in the most amazing way possible. And so I, I make those historical arguments, and I say, you need to pay attention. I wrote a book on this. The book is available for you for free. I keep saying, you need to look at Jesus. You need to take a grown-up look at the person and work of Jesus because it really matters. And if it's true, as I believe it is, then it matters for eternity. You want to get this right. Today, I want to do something a little different. Haven't ever done this before, but today I want to look past the resurrection, right? I I want to look past the, the, the claims that Jesus is God. I want to look past the idea that the tomb was empty because he rose from the dead. I want to look past uh, all of that. I want to look to a conversation that he has immediately after the resurrection. And I want to use that conversation to make a different point today. The point I want to make is this. Right? God knows your name. And he knows everything about you. And he is for you. And he has reached out to you, and, and you are almost certainly, if, you're, if you don't know that, you're almost certainly looking too low. So I'm going to read uh, out of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. I'm going to read uh, verses 15, excuse me, verses 11 through 18. So this immediately follows the, the, the disciples showing up at the tomb, <clears throat> discovering that it's empty. Reading now with verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to, your, to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said, these things, to her. So, uh, in verse 15, Jesus asks Mary, uh, why are you weeping? Now, as a rule, when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's, he's trying to force people to stop and reflect for a second. Why are you weeping? It's pretty obvious. <laughs> it's been a bad week. Started on an up note last 
Sunday, the, the procession in on Palm Sunday, the crowds were big. It looked like things were working. But since then, it's gone downhill. And at the end of the week, it's really fallen apart. He was, Jesus was arrested. He was beaten. He was crucified. He's dead. And now, it's just like, it's just like the last straw, the final indignity. His body isn't even here. She's like, look, I just, I just am trying to, to get a moment to process what's happening. I need a little alone time with my grief. I'm looking to attend to the body. I just have a simple request. Right? I think we can agree Mary had good reason to weep. And I think we can go beyond that and say everybody in this room has reasons to weep. Right? If we're fortunate, many of us were fortunate, I certainly was fortunate. We make it through childhood without uh, a whole lot of the really big ticket issues coming at us. But at some point, you know, poverty and injustice and abuse and, and war and disease and death and all kinds of ugliness and brokenness. At some point, you just can't get away from it. And it presents itself. We all have reasons to weep. In uh, Ireland, there's a TV show called The Meaning of Life, and uh, not long ago they had a British comedian, Stephen Fry, who's also an atheist, on this show. And they were interviewing him about the meaning of life, and at one point they asked him the question, well, what happens if there really is a God? And after you die, you meet God. What are you going to say to God? And he said, very measured and firm, looks at the camera, How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault. It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? Fry goes on to say, It's perfectly apparent that he's monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. And then he adds, The moment you banish him, Life gets simpler, purer, clearer, cleaner, more worth living, in my opinion. So there are uh, some who think that what Fry said was very irreverent. There are some who think that uh, what Fry said sort of got the better of God. There are others who say, well, sort of what I'm thinking. He asked my questions. I think that if we are awake, if we are paying attention, there will be times when we have good reasons to be confused and frustrated and hurt and doubt. I think that that comes with living in a broken world. I also think that Fry's comments sound very much like some of the comments we find in this book. Some of the prayers we find recorded in the book of Psalms <laughs> sounds very much like what Fry says to God. I suspect that what Fry says to God is perhaps not very different from what Mary was praying at the time that we're reading this passage. Like, really, God, can you not clue in here? Can you not give me a little bit of time and attention? I am dying here. Everything has gone wrong. All right, would, you, would, you, would you check in and pay attention? Right? I, nothing is going right. Where are you? I have been trying to follow you and my life is spinning out of control. I suspect that that is 
much like what Mary would have been praying. So here's the deal. I think it's right if we are in touch with what's going on that we occasionally have those times. But we have to understand this passage doesn't end here. And so we read on and and we see that additional comments and questions are asked. So Jesus has initially said, first question is, you know, uh, why are you weeping? And then he says, who are you looking for? And and, uh, at at that point, I want to take you to Luke's gospel. So Luke, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they, they are each written from a different vantage point, different author, and they're reporting on the same events. The, the, the gospels, they're not biographies because they don't give us everything a biography would give us, but they basically are, are reports by people filed. We don't have to guess why they've done it. They tell us. Reports by people filed to convince us that Jesus is God and we should follow him. They, that's why they're written. That's what they tell us. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say, I'm writing these things to persuade you that Jesus is God and you need to follow him. So we get four different accounts of this. In Luke's report about the resurrection, it's a little different. Luke uh, 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. When you put these four reports together, like a police officer that's got four eyewitnesses to an accident. He's got to put everybody's different perspective together to figure out exactly what happened. When you put the four reports together, we, we can be pretty confident that the conversation that we're listening in on between Mary and Jesus happens after Mary has already been told that Jesus has risen from the dead. Right? She's been told that he's risen from the dead. But She doesn't believe it. So she's not asking Jesus, I'm looking for my risen Savior, victorious King, the one who conquered death, the one who, you know, is going to offer me eternal life. No, she's not saying that. She's saying, I'm just looking for his body. I'm just looking for the corpse. That's, that's, That's what I'm looking for. Can somebody just tell me where I would go to find that? Like many other people, Mary has lowered her expectations about what she can hope for in a relationship with life and with God. She's just lowered that very much. And uh, many people do. Maybe you have. So, I want to go back to Fry for a second. Fry says, as soon as you banish God, as soon as you get rid of the idea that there could be a God, life gets simpler and cleaner. Well, first I want to say, remember, that's not the goal. The goal isn't simpler, cleaner, easier, right? The goal needs to be the truth. What we're after is not what's going to help us sleep through the night. What we're after is not what's going to give us a sense of peace. What we're after ultimately is what is true. And what I'm specifically after is did the man rise from the dead or not? Because if he rose from the dead, then clearly everything else he claims is true. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then clearly everything else he claims is not true. 
So, so we're after the truth. We're not after what is going to make things easier. And what Fry suggests, it's not new. Right? It's a very old philosophy. It says, look, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. I just, I just, I don't want, I don't want more responsibility than that. I want to be able to do what I want to do with sort of a carefree attitude, seek joy and pleasure, whichever ways I can find it, and move on. Many people are content to lower their sights. And I want to say, you were made for more than that. You were made for a relationship with God. The first line of his um, memoirs, No Need to Be Frightened, Julian Barnes, who was an atheist when he wrote his memoirs, he has subsequently changed his, his position. But the first line of his memoirs says, I, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I think, right, because you were made for a relationship with God. So, you were made for a relationship with God. If you lower your sights, as Mary has done here, then it's not that you are going to have a life that is carefree. Right? It, what, what Fry suggests is going to be carefree is ultimately a life without meaning. You're going to look for meaning in other things. We can't help it. And, and the things that we look for meaning in will be ultimately, most likely, good things. So, family, career, a cause. Now, some people will go on a different path and will just try to sort of numb that inner angst and, and sort of quest for some sense of ultimate meaning, uh, perhaps with drugs or alcohol or food or whatever. A roommate of mine in college asked me one night, uh, it was pretty late, and he said, will you walk with me across campus? I've got I to get this paper. And it was, it was late, and I had a test the next day. I said, no, I, I'm not. I've got to stay here and study. He goes, come on, come with me. Let's walk across campus, and, and I've got to get this paper. And I'm like, I have put off studying for this test so long. I have got to study for it now. I can't do this. She goes, please, will you come with me? And I remember going, please? Huh. Uh, why, what's going on? There's, there's some, something else going on here. Are you worried about going out alone? Are you, are you scared? I mean, I, I don't get this. He goes, well, I'm not worried like, you know, I'm going to get jumped or something. I'm just, I don't like to be alone. Because when I'm alone at times like this, he goes, then I tend to start thinking about bigger questions and ultimate meaning. And he goes, I, I've, I come to the conclusion I'm probably on the wrong path. He says, I don't like to think about that. So maybe you're trying pretty actively not to think about some of the things. Here's the deal. You were made for a relationship with God. He knows your name. And he is calling out for you. And I want to say to you, if you don't know this God... You are looking too low, like Mary, looking for a corpse as opposed to looking for a living God. Now, I wish that I had answers for all your questions. I wish the world worked better. We can wish for all kinds of things to be different. Right? My, my job, on the one hand, is 
I am, I am setting a claim in front of you that is unbelievable on the one hand. That God became a man, and he did it for you, and he did it for me, and he died. I mean, most people just go, this is a non-starter. Muslims say, no way can we believe that Jesus died on a cross. We believe he was a great teacher, we believe he's a prophet, but there's no way that we're going to believe that somebody as good as Jesus would die on a cross. God wouldn't do that. So they believe that he was absconded up into heaven off of the cross. And, and, and Buddhists say that we just can't believe in evil and, and suffering like, like we see. You've got to learn that it's an illusion. You've got to learn to look past it, right? We can't believe that there would be this battle, epic battle between good and evil like, like we see here. The, the Gnostics, a group, early group around the church trying to break into the church, said Jesus was clearly God, but he's not man. There's no way God would humble himself and become a man. Right? We just can't imagine that, let alone that he become a man who dies on the cross like a thief. We're not going there. That's the claim. It's the most amazing thing. God became a man. He knows your name. He's calling out for you. He died in your place. You have an opportunity to look up and to see him. I cannot answer all of your questions. There are mysteries out there that we just can't sort of wrestle down. But I know that I know that I know that he is real. And he knows my name. And he knows everything that's going on with me. And, and he is a God who is for us. He is a God who is gracious and loving and kind and merciful. So I want to say to you, look up. Why do you weep? Whatever pain you have, whatever you've lost, I want to say you're, you're looking too low. Look up and you will find the God who is there. The solution is not an idea, it's a person. He rose from the dead, he's calling your name, and the tomb is empty as sort of an exclamation point and proof that all the things that he claimed are true. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm sure that today, at this moment, there are all manner of people who are... uh, hurting, frustrated, confused. Maybe some who are thinking, I've, I've started down a path like this before, but it didn't work. Lord God, I want to pray that um, you would help them understand what it looks like to look up and to see you. And to understand that you are a God who knows their name and is for them, and demonstrated that love in that you sent your son to die on the cross for them, for me. Lord God, I, I want to I pray that um, there would be a, a, some clarity that um, the promises and claims are true. There's no one like Jesus and that you would move in people's life. And I want to say to those of you who are curious, skeptical, searching, put your weight down. Ask God to reveal himself to you. There's no one like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.